0: Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one day event are limited. So if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hey, just before we get to the show, I wanted to take a quick minute to explain how you can get access to my online course. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and the podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to multiply my net worth to over eight figures in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. While the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor Course, a complete roadmap for anyone who wants to take a deeper dive into the world of lifestyle investing. If you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple-to-follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. If you want to learn all about low risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. From a very young age, we're taught that in order to earn money, there has to be an exchange of time. To make more, you have to work more. The problem is, There's only 24 hours in a day, so the earned income model completely limits how much money you can make. Sure, you can level up by making a higher hourly wage or working more hours, but beyond that, you're stuck. As a result, people will settle for mediocrity. They end up building a lifestyle around what they get paid rather than building their pay around the lifestyle they truly want. It's a trap one that most people don't know how to escape, which leads me to today's episode of the podcast. I'm speaking with Dr. David Phelps. David worked on the dental practice hamster wheel for over 20 years before being punched in the gut by his daughter's life-threatening battle with leukemia, epilepsy, and a liver transplant all before the age of 12. Fortunately, he had a plan B. While still in dental school, David began investing in real estate by joint venturing with his father on their first rental property. Three years later, they sold the property and David took his $25,000 capital gain share and leveraged it into 31 properties that produced a $15,000 a month net cash flow. Today, he's a nationally recognized speaker on creating freedom, building businesses, and investing in real estate. And his journey to create passive income and live for what matters most has inspired audiences across the nation. In our conversation, he makes it very clear why he believes the conventional idea of earned income and the working-to-live mindset is completely broken. You'll hear us talk about all things real estate, how to buy properties that cash flow on day one, the secret to getting seller financing, how to structure a deal on your terms, and much more. You'll also learn why the nest egg approach to investing is incredibly flawed and what you can do to avoid the trap of earned income. One more thing before we get to today's interview. David has a gift for the Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. He's giving away a special PDF report. Why now is the time to create cash flow and security through real estate. Plus, you'll also get a video training resource and digital worksheet on how to calculate your freedom number. To get access to this offer, visit justindonald.com forward slash 38. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Dr. David Phelps. All right, David, I'm excited to spend some time here together. And more than anything, I mean, we really have a very similar philosophy on investing in life. And I'm excited for you to share your story and your philosophies and how you've gotten to where you have today. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Justin, it's a pleasure. I love visiting with you and uh, talking about uh, shared stories and experiences. It's, it is a lot of fun. And it's always fun when you get recommended
0: to people by you know friends that you know really well. And then when you meet, you know we get a chance to connect. Prior to this and and I was on your podcast. I love that you can be on on my podcast and uh, but we have several mutual friends, and it's just an incredible community of people and I just love when you connect with someone at such a level and and the foundation is so strong and so similar where you just feel like you're walking. Arm in arm and step in step. And I really feel that way about you, David. So I think you're doing great things in the world and great things for the dental profession and those that you have influence with. And
1: I'm just excited to have you here to share your story today. Well, it is not by coincidence that, you know, we got kind of put together. And even though we came from different backgrounds, you know, as you said, it's like we've been long lost friends. You know, 20 years ago, we were in school together. I'm just making this up, of course. And then like we just connected last week. And it's like, we just pick up where we left off. Well, we're just picking up because our stories and our philosophy of life is so similar. So I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's just like, it's fun. It's easy.
0: Yeah, well, you have figured out this this hack, the hack of living the life that you want. And you're one of the few that have been able to do it. And you've got an incredible life. You don't have to work. You get to work. You have the privilege of working and the opportunity to impact and influence people. But you don't have to. You've got passive income that more than covers anything and everything that you want to do. So I'd love to hear how you got there. And like, why did you go against the norm of what conventional wisdom and conventional
1: investing tells you to do? Well, I got tricked a few times. So it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> that I like, was totally uh, able to go against the norm because I got, I got sucked in like we all do a few times. But uh, you're right. I've always been a little bit of, a, of an outlier in my peer group, whatever that might be. And, you know, as you know, but I'll tell the rest of your audiences that I went to school to become a dentist. Well, why a dentist? Well, my father was a surgeon. I deviate a little bit to stay in healthcare, but I didn't want like the lifestyle I knew he had, which was, you know, a good lifestyle for his family, but he was hardworking and was was gone a lot because he was, you know, taking care of trauma and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, dentistry, there's not like a whole lot of trauma there, right? I mean, you have more work hours. So I, I went down that road, but like you and probably everybody who's listening to your podcast today is that I always had a curiosity about other things and other things that were different. So it kind of goes back to, you know, even when we're, when we're kids, right. And I, you know, I'm sure your childhood was the same. I'm always trying to figure out how to make money because my parents, fortunately didn't give it to us kids. I mean we they gave us you know paltry allowance and that was you know to do all the massive chores which was slave labor back in the day but I appreciate it. I appreciate what we had to do. And so I you know I wanted some nice I wanted some upgrades Justin. So I've always played tennis since I was young. Well my parents wouldn't wouldn't you know give me I wanted this the back in the day it was like in the 70s it was a Stan Smith you know some people may not know who Stan Smith is but he won Wimbledon back back in I wanted those Adidas Stan Smith shoes. Well they were pricey shoes. I wanted some gut strings in my racket not just the nylon stuff, right? I wanted the upgrades. I wanted the better Schwinn bike. I wanted a small back in the day, black and white, you know, rotary dial, portable TV for my bedroom. So I did not like have to be in the family room and watch their stuff. So I had to go earn that. So similar to your story, I, I had to learn how to sell early. I, I sold greeting cards door to door. I mean, I took them on consignment and I went door to door, you know, trying to, offload these greeting cards and sympathy cards to people. And I learned very quickly that people often said no. I mean, they said nicely, you know, they didn't like slam the door on me, but I still had to learn, you know, about some rejection just keep going, keep going. You know, it's a numbers game to get the stuff I wanted. But anyway, I went to, you know, I went to down school while I was, while I was in college though, I started reading books about finance. Now, unlike you, I took no economics, no finance, not even an accounting <laughs> class back in the day. I was all science because, well, that's what I had to do. But I still have this curiosity about, well, kind of like, I want to know how money worked. And again, I didn't come from a place of, of need or scarcity in my life, but I still want to know, how does money work? Because I saw my dad work really hard, and I knew that he didn't have any like real investment protocol. You know, he had the typical Wall Street financial guy in town who was like the guy, you know. But listening to my parents talk as I was growing up, uh, again, not there. There were financial worries, but I just remember talking about you know the the Orange Grove in Florida, like it froze. You know, I mean that's something he invested in, right? Or just different, disparate things, and that's kind of a hodgepodge Wall Street. And I just in my back of my mind, I think I said, I want to, I want to learn how to do that better. So, so I started reading books in college. I read books about Wall Street, mutual funds, and and I grabbed some books on real estate. And the books on real estate just made sense. It just it's a tangible asset, and I could insert whatever control I wanted over it. I missed all the aspects that you and I know about alternative investments. It was all there in front of me. So long story short, I convinced my dad to invest in our first joint venture property when I was in my first year in dental school, knowing I'd have at least four years, and then we'd figure out what to do. And and I found out, you know, after waiting tables, which is what I did to put myself through school, I waited tables on the side, and I made good money. I mean, back in the day, it was flexible hours. I made good tips, relatively high-end restaurant back in the day. But when I calculated what I made in tips, working for four years, and the capital gain profit that I split with my dad, which is about $25,000, this is back in 1983, so we're going almost 40 years back. That was a chunk of money for a kid coming out of school that I still had some student loans. And yeah, I took that money and I parlayed it into more properties. But the big takeaway for me, Justin, and I'll I'll take a breath because I I know you'd like to ask some questions. The big epiphany for me was when I looked at that $25,000, which was a capital gain, profit. We both know that's different than ordinary income. And I realized how much time did I exert primarily on the front end of locating, negotiating, acquiring, arranging some upgrades to the property, right? And then I became the manager. Well, it's even a dumb, well, not a dumb kid, inexperienced kid. You know, I figured out, you know, how to manage and put a family in and have a attorney put together a lease contract. And then the rest was pretty much a free ride. And yet, Every day, I, not every day, but four days out of the week, I, you know, put my stuff on and go work at the restaurant and I made about 10 X in a capital gain profit over three and a half, four years over what I made working in the restaurant. And that was to me, it's like, that's the game changer. And just like you talk about, it was the asset that produced the really, for the most part, passive annuity income. Once the deal was set, that gave me this chunk of money. Because I didn't, I couldn't save that kind of money from from waiting tables. I mean, it was all spent. It was spent on stuff, right? Because that's usually what happens with income; it gets spent on lifestyle, college lifestyle, whatever it might be. Uh, all right, so I'll stop there because that's what you want to hear. Oh, that's such a great
0: intro, and I love your story. And again, you know, there's so many similarities to just the way you and I grew up and the the way that we had to kind of find our own income. You know, my parents told me early on. I remember in seventh grade, I had to get my first job because. My mom said, You know, we're not your bank. If you want money, then you need to go get a job. And so I did. And I loved having that freedom and that autonomy. And I got into selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. You know, my buddies had paper routes. I actually wanted to be able to make more than that, you know, that I'd be responsible for income based on sales. And same for you, where you went door to door and you got tons of rejection, just like I got tons of rejection. And what a better foundation than that to just know what it's like in the real world, to appreciate a sale, to uh, learn how to communicate effectively. I mean, that's powerful. And then like you, I also very much uh, got my next layer of education and, and I would call it my primary education via books Yes, and, you know, learning about real estate and I love that you had this discovery early on where you said, you know what? I I traded time for dollars, and that return was fine, but I 4X that return with no time. Right. And I had a similar moment to you in that. And mine might have been a little bit later on. I mean, I, I had read books and I knew kind of how I wanted to transition from earned income or time spent earning income to passive income or asset income. And so, it, but it, it really was eye-opening to me when I looked at what my very first flip that I did. And most of the real estate that I bought was buy and hold. Mm-hmm. That's always kind of how I heard to do it. And I did this flip of a mobile home park in a year and a day. Uh, and that significance of the year and the day is so that it was long-term capital gains right. instead of short-term capital gains. Uh, should I not be able to do a ten thirty one I just I wanted that peace of mind, and so this property I ended up making a five hundred thousand dollar profit in a year and a day, and I said to myself that this is the easiest like income that I ever made uh, I, I almost called it a job it's not a job this is the like I bought an asset, I bought that asset under value, I improved it, and then I was able to sell it at an improved value an increased value and that took the least amount of time of any dollars I've ever made in my entire life. And then I looked at what I was making for you know my job. And by the way, I'm very thankful for the job that I had. I'm very thankful for working with Cutco and everything that that was able to provide for me. But even being a high income earner with there, it was very obvious that the trade-off was extreme for the amount of time I was putting in when I could make incredible amounts of capital just on assets, just on buying rights and selling or buying and holding. And so that, that just opened up my world. And it sounds like that happened with you. So I'd love to know the next step. So now you know. So we both had this epiphany of, wow, what am I doing spending so much time earning money for? Yeah. Let's hear your next chapter. What did you
1: do with that valuable insight? So I, I took my, my capital gain long-term capital gain profit from the sale of that property my father and I joint ventured. And, you know, I immediately, because I I was graduating school. So I graduated dental school. I I go into practice now. I wisely, and I still say this to this day, I didn't go out and you know try to start up a practice, buy a practice, because there was a lot of things I need to learn about business. Uh, you know, I've talked about that. Plus my clinical skills need to elevate. So I, I associated, you know, with another doctor where I could learn. I didn't have to have the issues of the, the business and learning how to do all that. So it gave me a little more time. And I I was married, but I didn't have a child yet. So I had you know had that time. My my wife was also a professional in the, the accounting world. So I had time to go out and take this curiosity that now is enhanced by the first deal that we did, uh, and say, how could I how could I multiply that? Well, you and I both know, and we talk about the use of properly used leverage. Well, I had to leverage, and that's one of the key multipliers of assets is, is you can acquire control, more bigger chunks or more of the assets by utilizing leverage. And banks or even private capital are very willing to lend. So I took mine and I parlayed it out. Now, I, I use I use some massive, maximum leverage. I did not use banks back in the day. Now, probably because I couldn't, because I didn't have enough financial creds behind me. I mean, I'm, I'm like a new grad. So, and I don't even own a business. So I don't think I could have even gone and gotten loans. I'm pretty sure. But I had some great mentors, Justin, as I was... You know, during those years, I was reading, and you know, you follow the trail. You know, back back then it was books. You know, we didn't have online forms. There was no internet back then, so so it was books. But through the book authors, you know, you could find the people who were doing seminars, and they had newsletters. And so, like you, I'm reading, and then I'm I'm going to the seminars. I'm finding who are these who are the right people? Who are the people that? That are not just selling me some pipe dream, but actually do what they say. And you know, you can ferret those people out. It takes a little bit of time, but it's worthwhile to find the right people as you do. Then you learn how to structure your asset building the right way. Cause there's right ways to do it and wrong ways, right? You can, you can get yourself down a rat, bad rabbit hole if you don't know the, the principles. So understanding those principles, I learned how to use, you know, safe leverage uh, with making sure I structured the Capital stack, you know, on whether I was uh, getting the the seller to carry back terms on some of their equity. I took over a lot of exi- existing loans, subject to, you know, there. So I injected little bits of money. I mean, because I had to make this money last, right? But I made sure overall that I always had a decent cash flow margin above all the expenses, which I learned pretty quickly what those would be, you know, in, in owning these properties, and I was doing the managing, you know, in those properties. So, you know, it was my time trade and the debt service. And I had to, I learned very quickly how to structure the debt service. And I could do so because I could not always, it's a negotiation. It's a little numbers game, but with the right seller, with the right motivation, and of course, building trust uh, and still documenting the deal. uh, So it's secured, but I could get sellers to carry their financing and kind of people would say, that's crazy terms. I mean, I did some where there's like no interest, no payments because I showed the seller. I was taking out, taking away a problem. They trust me because I'm a professional. I got a day job, you know, but I still showed them, you know, if I'm taking over your loan and the payments are X and the property expenses are going to be X and the rent's going to be X, then I said, if I, if I pay you like, you know, back in the day, it was like eight, 9% interest, not what we have today. If I pay you that on the terms you want, I said, then I'm, I'm negative. And I said, no, you don't want me to take on a a project where I'm going to be in the hole. And they, no, that's right. We don't. We don't. So again, so I structure their their equity on different terms. Now, again, they had to be in a financial position to do that. It's not like you walk up to everybody every day and they're going to do it. But, you know, like you, I learned to accept rejection because I learned early on that every place I went to sell a greeting card box they, they weren't takers. I had to keep going, keep going. and But eventually you find one. Make offers, make offers, make offers. Bingo. You finally hit one. And now you can structure the deal on your terms as long as you're solving their main problem, which was usually unloading a property that they were no longer going to live in. They were moving out of state, whatever. So... That's, that's how I got going. I just, and I leveraged up and I did it all through single family at first. Like you, I got into a mobile home park within a, a not too many years down the road. I love mobile home parks and mobile homes on land. I got into, uh, the financing side of real estate, uh, but I'm in the secondary market with, uh, with, with owner finance notes. I learned how to take properties like you. And sometimes, you know, I wouldn't necessarily flip them for cash. I'd flip them uh, on terms. I take the spread on terms. So again, structuring deals, learning how to put these things together. Things, Justin, that I never learned in school, but the self-education was so much better because I was learning real time from people who really did it. And that was the fast track for me.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I love your story. I love the experience that you're getting. I mean, David, it's, it's so cool what you learned at such a young age. And I feel like sometimes people hear this and they're like, oh yeah, I wish I would have learned it that young. But the reality is anytime you learn it, that's when the magic happens. And that's when it changes the trajectory of your life. And so one of the big takeaways I got from your story is that it's a numbers game that you have to try enough times to get a seller finance deal or to find a, a piece of property or whatever it is. You just have to make enough attempts. And you, if you do that you're bound to find someone that's going to work with you. And that's a beautiful thing about real estate is that you do have so many seller finance opportunities. And so uh, I want to break this down for our our audience, for our, our listeners and those watching, because a lot of the time people think that when you buy real estate, like how do you buy it? It's so expensive. How do you make it work? And you mentioned things like debt service, which is what you owe on a mortgage or on a loan. And you mentioned something else. And well, when you think about it, you mentioned a down payment and a seller finance where they carry the note. But something that I want our, our listeners and those watching to recognize and understand is you can buy properties that cash flow day one right out of the gates that you're not buying it for appreciation, which is a lot riskier that you can buy it today. And if you're wondering how that happens, there's something called amortization. And and you mentioned this, David. But that basically is like your monthly payment. So let's say that you borrow money and you have a 10-year amortization. But you have another deal where you borrow the same amount of money and you have a 20-year amortization. Well, you're going to owe less of a debt service payment or monthly note payment or mortgage payment because of having more years that it amortizes over. And so the way I look at an amortization is I look at it as if that were the length of years of the note or of the mortgage. So you might only have a 10-year note or a 5-year note. But if it's amortized over 25 years, which is my goal, then you're going to have a really small payment to cover that debt. And it makes it really easy to cash flow. And so I just I want everyone to understand that what David has done, what I have done, you can also do. And it's just about playing the numbers game, getting out there. Uh, you can do this on a seller finance, which I think is the best. But if you can't, there are banks that will amortize. I've got a bank that consistently amortizes. At, they just did a 15% down payment for me on this last deal that I did and amortized it 25 years. So I love what you're doing. And I also love that you're bringing this information into a community like you have influence in a very large dental community, a dental network. People look up to you because you've done something they haven't yet done. And I'd love to hear more about that and I guess
1: why you are so passionate to serve that community. Well, because I'm one of them. I mean, you know, as dentists, and I can make fun of dentists because I am one, right? And so, you know, we're typically, we're very analytic. We're fact finders big time on the Colby. So that means we got to analyze, 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 analyze. Whoops, better step back and analyze one more time, which is great when you're working on the human body. No question. That's the person you want doing surgery or dentistry on you. You want someone who's like really detailed and they are going to check, 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 check and measure five times and all those things but outside that it doesn't work. <laughs> and so I had learned to, you know, to have like two separate identities or psyches, I guess is the way it was. Uh, and I tell people, I laugh and I say today, you know, I was, I was a dentist by day, but you know, nights and weekends, you know, I was the entrepreneur. So flip that dentist hat off. And now I'm putting on this other hat that says not to be cavalier about taking risk. No, you and I both know that, but there's ways to mitigate the risk. And A big part of it just comes from, you know, the communication skills. So you learn that through Cutco. I learned through selling greeting cards. And then I I waited tables for eight years, college and dental school. So again, same thing. I'm learning how to deal with different kinds of people. I'm an introvert. Uh, Unless I'm talking to someone like you about stuff we love. I'm very much an introvert. I'm not the guy who's going to come out and, you know, I don't have all the charisma. So, but you don't have to, you don't have to. And so dentists like me because I'm one of them. They see me as, yes, He's one of us. And I tell him, I laugh and say, look, you know, if I can figure this stuff out, because I got no special skills, I have a curiosity. I have a deep curiosity about different things. And I did what you and I both know to, to level up. And that was to early on in life. And again, it's never too late to find the right people. So much of what we learn in life, Justin, in school is in school, you know, there's no collaboration." I mean, you don't, you don't take tests with your buddies. I mean, when I was in dental school, we had like, you know, lab practicals, like gross anatomy lab practicals. And you don't get to talk to your, your buddy about, hey, what do, you, what do you think that is there? Like, let's look at orange. No, but in life, you get to do that. In real life, you get to find other people who have experiences, knowledge, expertise, complementary skill sets that maybe you don't have. And you can find ways to complement each other. That's what you and I do. We don't try to go out and find the deal, put the deal together, put all the wheels in motion like a new business it's like no i'll bring a piece of whatever i bring to the deal maybe i bring some expertise in this particular deal maybe not maybe i just have the access to capital or credit that's good enough whatever you bring and then you can learn how to take slices and i know that's what you do you know parts of the revenue and profit sharing on the revenue and sometimes equity stakes but the whole fun part for us justin is the skill set of learning how to put together win-win structures. When when someone has a problem, which maybe it's more like a challenge, like there's this opportunity and someone found an opportunity. It's like, okay, they're really good at maybe running the operations because they understand the industry or whatever it is or the real estate. But, you know, they don't have the other pieces. Like they don't quite know how to structure it and the access to maybe the private capital or the institutional capital. Not quite sure how to structure it. And if you've got experience doing that, then you bring that in inject that into the deal, structure it. So it's a win-win for everybody. You're all on the same page. So no one's like sucking, greeting, really taking more than they should. You got to let the market go and deals will work out differently over time, but knowing how to structure and mitigate your risk, it doesn't leave a whole lot of risk out there. Not that every deal is going to work out exactly to what our expectations, but they don't have to because we know how to over-secure, over-collateralize the potential risk we make. So if somebody needs from me, Like we lend money a lot, right, Justin? So operators, I'll lend money and take different kinds of profit shares and cash flows and equity pieces to make it fit for them. But let's say somebody needs more loan to value in a deal than I'm comfortable with. Okay. My question is, what else you got? What else you got? I'm happy to give you 80% of what you need for the acquisition rehab, but I need something else to make sure I feel comfortable. Otherwise, I'm going to have to back you down. So there's so many ways to structure that allow you to put deals together and you just create the this, this synergy where the sum of the, the parts are greater than, than the singular person trying to do it all on their own.
0: That's exactly right. And I love that your framework is the same as mine where you want to win-win. Like The goal is that everyone walks away feeling good. You don't want to be in a position where Uh, someone has like really taken advantage of the other side. And I can assure you, if that's the way that you do business, you're not going to get a lot of repeat business. The repeat business happens because people feel really good about the way that that relationship is set up. And so one of the things I share in my book is that, to me, negotiations are not an adversarial thing. It's not me against you. It's more like, Hey, I understand that you want X in sale price. I'm actually okay giving you X in sale price if we can make the terms really work, where we can both feel good about them. And so the goal here is let's collaborate and find a way that everyone wins. And, you know, we feel really good. And every time I say win-win, it cracks me up. I always think of Michael Scott from The Office and his win-win-win <laughs> scenario. But I mean, really, I, I love that. I mean, it's, it's hysterical. It makes me laugh. But that's what I want. You know, I want everyone to win. And I just think that that's, you
1: know, that's so great. Well, repeat business is the whole key in life. I mean, if you can start working, collaborating with somebody or some group or whatever you put together and you do one deal successfully, well, guess what? There's gonna be more. Well, how about if we do that again on the next deal? And maybe it's a little bit stru- different structure, but we've all had the opportunity to work together. And when you're dealing with real people, this is the other thing I'll say. Again, I, I have nothing against the use of institutional financing, especially non-recourse. I mean, it definitely juices the deal and interest rates are so low today. But when you can use private capital, you know, whether it's debt or equity structures, you're dealing with real people and real people who get it, who want things to go through. If there's market dynamics, dynamics, Justin, that change the economics of the deal, no fault of the operator, it's just the market. You know, well, we had COVID last year, did we not? We still have it, but I mean, last year. So did that not change the dynamics, at least on the short run for probably some businesses, some investments? Yes, it did. Now, so if I'm like, got the wrong mindset, like I invested money with somebody and like they had to put like a little pause on on capital distributions because you just want to make sure you're COVID. If I'm like egregious, then I go in there and like try to force their hand. Like, what's that about? No, I want my money with people who I know, know how to take care of it. I'm going to back off and say, sure, we'll reconstruct the deal. Uh, we'll change the prep on it. And certainly, er- you know, everything worked out. I mean, everything's climbing back, whatever it was a year ago during that correction we had. You know, it was a good test case for a lot of people who have never been through any kind of re- correction it's like oh this is what it might look like if we have when we have the next one right so how do we all participate and with people who who understand how this game is played that also mitigates a lot of the risk and i love hearing
0: you already talking from the standpoint of splits and preferred return and equity and all these things that basically are leaning towards private investments you know you and i have talked about this before but I'd love to know your opinion on conventional investment wisdom and stock market investing. You and I are very similar in the fact that we don't do much of that and that we see a lot of value in uh, having more control and having greater upside and just really being able to find deals that otherwise wouldn't exist in the public equities. But I'd love to hear you speak on that.
1: So I talk about degrees of separation from our money. You know the money that we make that we want to invest in something, and so you think about your, your one's primary business, whatever that might be doctor dentist, butcher baker, candlestick baker, you've got a business right? you know so you're that solo entrepreneur. so in your business, however you run your business invest money in the business, whether it's expansion or more labor or technology or whatever, you have direct control. you are making decisions right there, you've got the most control of that money, <laughs> good or bad, uh, right there now, let's stretch it all the way out to Wall Street, okay that's what i call you know 2 degrees of separation because i don't get to sit in the boardrooms with gm or whoever i'm investing with you know on on the market i don't get to sit there with them i don't get to get the insights yeah i got reports but i don't i don't really get to see really what's going on behind the scenes so in, in investing in alternatives private capital i'm just 1 degree of separation because you and i both know with direct investments and alternatives we actually get to spend time with the person the people the company the culture we can dig as deep as we want to and understanding what their track record is how they think what they're looking ahead as far as market risk reduction in their model because i want to hear that i'm like yeah times are good right now huge opportunity right whatever it is it's like great but we both know or we all know there's going to be a correction so how do you mitigate see i can ask those questions i don't get to ask those questions On Wall Street. I just have to kind of take my financial advisor's best guess. And does he or she have any more direct connection? They might be able to read reports better than I can. But what do they really have that that I don't have? Really nothing. So it's degrees of separation of your money. If you want to be ultra super passive and you just want to play that abdicate your financial future, they make it easy, don't they, Justin? I mean... (laughs) Save, save on taxes. Put your money in the four hundred one k, the cash balance, the defined benefit plan. We'll save you money all day long, and it's all going to be good. And so people start doing that on a disciplined basis, and they think, when they're younger, that yeah, it's they got my back, they got my back. They, and then it's sad when I talk to, to dentist colleagues who are in their late fifties, early sixties, and they're not there, and in fact, they're not even close. And I think about the fact that they had literally the private practice dentist, just my example, over let's just say twenty five years, 30 years of practice in their private practice. They probably ran an average over those years of about a million dollars a year gross. Okay. So let's call it $30 million and to see what little they have left. There's a problem with that plan. It doesn't work. So I try to wake people up early in life and say, look, you can choose. You can choose. You could take the the model of the mainstream America that will always be there to tell you, yep, put your money over here, save money on taxes, defer, defer, defer. Or you can take the other path, which is going to take you a little bit of time in developing the access points, the people, the network. Yes, you're going to have to invest in yourself and buy your way in to those groups, those people, because that's what you and I have done. But that investment pays dividends over and over and over again for the rest of our lives. And there's no better investment than that. I almost can't stand it when people ask me, you know, should I keep putting money in the 401k? And I go, I mean, if that's the only thing you're going to do, then yes, by all means, do it. But do you want a different life? Then you've got to shake that cage and and stop going down that path that everybody says is the way to go. Because you do that, you're going to live an average, mediocre life. And that's not what you signed up for. Hey,
0: sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my online course. As a listener, you probably know my story. In under two years, I had multiplied my net worth to over eight figures and my investments were generating enough passive income for my wife and me to quit our jobs. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out, asking how I was able to accomplish this in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. My methods are unconventional, But I've always wanted to share my strategies and help as many people as possible accomplish financial freedom. And while the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor Course, a roadmap for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of lifestyle investing. Anyone can use my system no matter what level they're at in their investing career. So if you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple-to-follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's that whole idea of better than. If you're only going to invest in a 401k, that's better than not investing. But if you really want to find something better than a 401k, there are endless options out there. And I think that you know you get into trouble when the advice is, oh, just defer. Well, in this case, you're deferring. If you're going to be retiring soon, you're deferring into a much higher tax rate. And I actually think it's going to continue to get higher. Uh, you know, As this new administration comes in, as the next new administration, over time, As the deficit of our government grows, they're going to need to find those dollars somewhere. So I just think it's going to be higher tax in the future. So I don't know if the best answer is to defer. And I also think that you've got to be careful in an industry where I don't believe that there is alignment in outcomes. Anytime that you can lose when other people win... I mean, Wall Street's going to make money on your money, whether you do or you don't. Right. your financial planner is too. So find someone that's awesome if you're going to go that route or choose the route of lower fees, choose the route of index funds, or choose the route of private investments and syndications, choose the route of piggybacking on deals that your friends or people in your network who are successful that have a long track record in a certain area have done Because the nest egg approach does not work like you think that it works. I can assure you of it. I've seen it so many times that if you're saving money for some end date, some retirement date in the future where you're hoping to have enough principal that you can live off the interest, which is highly unlikely, therefore you're then eventually going to spend that money down to zero, there are better ways. There are better ways to wait until that date when you can buy assets that either in full by yourself or through syndications of other investors doing it where you're a limited partner, there are opportunities where you can have equity today, you can have cash flow today, and you don't have to wait 20 years or 30 years or 50 years. And so I'm curious your thoughts on the whole nest egg approach because you have to see that all the time. I feel like in the medical community, in the dental world, in corporate
1: America, this is the thing. Well, that's the problem. It's it's the nest egg. It's the accumulation. Stack it up through different Wall Street products, but you know, get as much as you can stacked into those products into those various accounts, and then just hope that you have enough. Well, that's the problem, Justin. Is this this uncertainty because through those models, the investor and certainly the the platform, whatever the stock, bond, mutual fund, four hundred one k manager, whatever they're using. It, again, it's about accumulation. They've never shown the investor how to orchestrate what you just talked about—cash flow. But that's what it's about. I mean, it's it's about cash flow. No, their their model is stack it up, and then it's it's ironic to me that what financial advisors say to people when they're leaving their active income career, job, business, selling out, is they say, "Okay, now it's time to put you in conservative investments." I'm thinking, "Well, what have you been doing for the last thirty years?" Uh, well, we've been playing the roller coaster game because that's the only game in town that we have. You know, you ride it up, and then you ride it down, and you ride it up. And for the most people, unfortunately, they find out after 30 years of playing that up and down game that all they have, if, if, if that is the contributions they made, they never got any growth and they certainly never got any cash flow. I mean, maybe a few dividend stocks, but I mean, not focused on what we look at. So the problem with the nest egg approach is even if you think you have enough, and I'll tell you, most of my, most of the financial advisors advise my dentists based on their reasonable, not super highly affluent, but reasonably solid, good lifestyle is they tell them they're going to need six, eight, $10 million in the nest egg. Well, I'm telling you, I mean, the, the healthcare industry is not producing that kind of, of returns on the, on the income trade today, it, especially with taxes. I mean, if you're not using a model that allows you to do what we're talking about, you'll never get there. But the good news is you don't have to have that much. I have shown our docs in our group how for most of them, a couple million dollars to start out with where you're not depleting the nest egg. You're actually growing the nest egg and you're also creating the cash flow out of the gate that you need that lets you know, hey, I actually can stop my active income instead of, well, my financial advisor tells me to, here's the the key thing, Justin, they tell them, the docs, well, you can just retire in practice. That's the key. You retire in practice. I'm going, what is that? It means you sell your practice to another doc. So you harvest out the, the, the equity, right? After tax and you give it back to the financial advisor. And then because they never know you have enough, they go, well, you can just stay on and be an associate. So it's, it's like, well, you're just still working. I mean, to me, if that's my exit, what have I been doing all these years? If that's my financial advisor's advice, I think I need a new one.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. And to just really be in a place where you can make different decisions. So it's really funny. Like, you have critics in the conventional financial space where, it's like, well, why wouldn't you give us your money? We're professionals, but that doesn't mean that they have a track record of success. And by the way, anyone in the last 12 years, 13 years can look good, but we now are dealing with inflation and at a rate that we never had before with 50% more money in circulation in just this past year than the total amount of currency in circulation. So think about half the money in circulation was just created in the last year. So inflation's massive. So any gains that you have, they're going to be wiped away by inflation. So at the end of the story, in this nest egg of that's supposed to accumulate, it's just not going to do it. It really is not going to do it. And you are going to owe taxes on a lot of those dollars in a lot of those qualified plans. So it's not all your money. A portion of that, you're going to pay taxes on at the higher tax bracket, in my opinion, but you're losing the three greatest deductions that you have. So you're, you're losing this, this great deduction of, mortgage interest. You're losing this because you probably have your home paid off by then. You're losing this great deduction of dependents. And then the biggest deduction of all would be business expenses. And so, I mean, I just don't see any way that it it shapes up like people think. But the the irony of it all is you can actually buy cash flowing assets. And that asset itself and as you buy more, those the, the group of assets, they will continue to appreciate. And the more money is printed, the greater those will appreciate. And the better you do with them, the more they'll appreciate. So there are many avenues to having it appreciate while still having cash flow. Yes. So the alternative is let's invest in the stock market, hope that it ends well, and it's a good season when you retire. And You don't get any cash flow on it. You have no utility on that money. And hopefully it makes something. And this is a big, hopefully. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what taxes are going to be. We don't know what inflation is going to be. We don't know if you're going to retire at a time where the stock market tanks, which you can never make that money back, right? Even if it returns to the mean, you lose money. So it's just, it's a losing game. And I just really want to call people to action in this space. And then, you know, one other thing you and I have talked a lot about that kind of blends well with this is this whole idea of earned income. And that with earned income, you pay higher taxes and it takes more of your time and more of your energy than passive income. And what we see, you have said this about, you know, people in your network, I've certainly seen this in mine, is that a lot of people, spend money to the lifestyle that they want based on the money that they earn. And so as they earn more, they spend more. I'm curious your thoughts like, of this whole trap of earned income. I mean, you have been vocal about this before, that the the way that we're conditioned, the way that society grooms us, the government grooms us, the financial institutions groom us, just the indoctrination that we get from universities and colleges for the way that we should work and how we should exchange time for money and kind of gearing us towards this world of earned income. I don't believe that that's what's in people's best interest. I'd love to hear you share some thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, it, it is a trap, Justin, and, and you're right. It's it's what we've been told, what society and what our respective industries have really indoctrinated our thinking. And so I think about it this way, you know, People who go to school for a long time and they, you know, stack up a lot of debt and they kind of have to live like you know paupers going through school many times and even coming out of school you got all this debt and and yet you put all this time in now you you know you got a degree you're an engineer CPA a doctor dentist so there's an expectation that now life is supposed to begin and it's supposed to be you know now you deserve you deserve to upgrade everything you've been living in in resident student housing or whatever you've been doing uh, driving an older car but now. Because you're, you got the license and you got, you're in, in business, you're in practice, then the credit markets will say, Hey, you deserve it. We, we got you covered. And so, because everybody else does it, you go, You know, you're right. You know, I, I do deserve it. And how can you look at your, your colleagues you went to school with who are already going down this path and you're trying to be more conservative and think, You know, it, it doesn't feel good to me. It does, it just doesn't feel good. But, Man, I can't, you know, go socialize with them and show up at the annual reunion and have me driving the, you know, the, the used car and they're like they're on the high flyer. Because again, well, you can afford it as long as you can afford it. Now, the problem is again, people think in that mindset that it's okay to elevate the lifestyle because why? Well, the financial advisors, they're taking care of it. Yeah, I'm I've set up that 401k plan. I feel so good about that, and they're saving me big chunks of taxes, and I feel really good. Oh, by the way, where does that savings of taxes go? That deferral, that savings. It goes back to the lifestyle. See, what they should be doing with that money is putting into assets, other investments, but it ends up going into the lifestyle column. So you're actually getting further behind because you save taxes a day, but as you said, you don't pay taxes at a higher rate down the end. No question that's going to happen. It just, it has to. It's where we're running. So because we have this, they have this false sense of security that Wall Street's taking care of them, then it's just like, well, I don't have to worry about it. And no one's ever helped them put, you know, pencil paper and show them the typical outcome. You and I have the advantage of working with a lot of people who have had that same mindset and seeing the results of the bad results, the results of the frustration, almost a cry for help. and kind of the mean age, the mean age for me is like for somebody it's like 59, the 59 year old hardworking dentist who's put in the time of the chair. And unfortunately, you know, oftentimes gone through a divorce and there's just, there's all kinds of things that the calamities along the way, but the bottom line is they're still in debt and their body's breaking down now because they've been doing it so long. I tell them, I got no magic pill here. I mean, I just don't. I'm so sorry. I want to help, but they just got bad advice or they didn't seek better advice. They didn't step outside their comfort zone. They didn't seek other people when they had the time to do it, the time, the compounding time to change that model. There is a point where it's too late for some. I hate to say it. And so I love catching younger people. And if they'll listen, if they'll just listen, even if they can't act on it yet, and that that the snowball effect of compounding equity, wealth, and assets has so much more benefit. And it's a force multiplier that your active income can never keep pace with.
0: Yeah, that is so well said and so powerful, such a powerful concept. And just this world today of the way that people earn money in the way that they spend money, to me is backwards. It's like, okay, I have a job that pays me X amount of dollars and then I'm gonna spend that money inside of whatever dollar amount and most people spend beyond it, right? That's why most people are in debt. And then the moment you get an increase, then the lifestyle increases. But I think what we should be doing is the opposite of that. It's getting clear on, hey, this is what I'd like my life to look like. And in order for it to look like that, here's how much it would cost per month. So why don't I figure out how to earn that per month? And and by the way, it could be an earned income to start. But what if a part of that was in passive income? And what if the goal was to be able to accomplish all of that in time and passive income? Maybe it just starts at first with your utilities are covered in passive income, or your car payments, or your mortgage or whatever it is, and it can continue to grow. But I just think if you get into the mindset of, hey, this is actually what I want life to look like, like this is what it costs me to live today, what would really be cool is to have this lifestyle and it would cost X amount more today. And then if I just were to buy these assets, it would produce this much income and then I could have exactly what it is that I want. And I'm not sacrificing. I'm not taking my principal and spending it down on liabilities. I'm instead buying assets where they're gonna appreciate and I get cash flow from it. And so I know that you eat, breathe, and sleep that. I think it's incredible. Hey, tell us about your book. I see it in the background there. I'd love to know a little bit more. And uh, I'd love to know where you know people can find your book because you're, you preach and
1: share and teach a message that everyone needs to hear. So yeah, the book is entitled, What's Your Next? Creating Your Freedom Blueprint. And the reason I wrote this particular book is I've written the books that we both love and live by. You know, it's it's the basic financial acumen and how to use real estate or alternatives to build the wealth and, you know, the models and stuff like that, which is which is cool. That's the, that's the technical book, right? But I wanted to write a book that really spoke more to the bigger picture. Like, what are we really seeking to do? We talked about it earlier about, you know, are we just after the money? No, I mean, no, we're, we're after the freedom. We're after the time trade. So I want to write a book that spoke to, People, and particularly as couples, because in a marriage, each one of us, while we're growing our family and our goals in a form that, that we both agree on to the most part, there's still individual needs each of us have, right, you know, in a marriage, in a partnership. And I want to speak to both sides because I've, you know, had the blessing to, to work with a lot of couples. So the book is really, it has some of the basic constructs that we talked about today, I'm not diving super deep in like a lot of math numbers, because I think that wears some people out. I want to speak to the bigger picture of the ability, the permission, Justin, for people not to stay in a, in a rut, a career path, uh, a time trade that they start out with in life, and they just got to live that thing because society or the industry said that's what you do until you, quote, retire at 65. It's like you should have the opportunity and the permission to evolve. Now, it doesn't mean you have to sell your business per se, but how could you evolve uh, and be building the the wealth within the business and outside the business? So to your point, you're letting your your lifestyle elevate. I have no problem with that, but why don't you do it with assets? Make the assets pay for that elevation. Now you don't get behind the eight ball when you're 65 years old and go, what the heck happened? Well, you've just been spinning on that hamster wheel all these years, elevating your lifestyle. You got nothing to show for that. Where's the assets? Darn any. The assets been you. Well, eventually you burn out. So if you're if instead you let your lifestyle elevate past that that break-even point that you talked about a minute ago with the assets. Now you've got a game plan. And if you and your wife are on the same page, you're not gonna get in trouble. You same thing. You wanna put your kids through XYZ school in the future? Start doing it now start building the assets, begin with the end of mine. I think my kid's education is going to cost X, I have the inflation factor in. It's a little bit of a guess, but nevertheless, say, what assets should I be investing in now? So when we get there, my kid you know, gets to go to school or maybe I'm going to pay half of it, whatever you're going to do, but the assets pay, not you spinning on the treadmill, trying to save the money up after you pay the higher tax rate at ordinary income earned, earned tax rates. I mean, it just, that model's so broken, but again, that's people live and die by that. And I hate it.
0: Yeah. Your book is so needed for this type of education and counsel. And so I'm thankful that you wrote it. And where can we find out more about you online and your book for those that would like to pick one up?
1: The book's uh, available on Amazon and I've, I've got a couple other books there. Another book, I just you know again, just it's a fun book, but it's the apprentice model. It's kind of like you and I growing up, and how do we how do we elevate from school to our next? So that's kind of for young people online. I'm at freedomfounders.com and I've got a, a podcast like you do. It's the Dennis Freedom Blueprint Podcast. You don't have to be a dentist to listen to it. Uh, I'll give you an honorary degree if you if you, if you subscribe, <laughs> get your five star rating. Uh, just kidding. I like to put out content. I like doing what we're doing here today. So I've got you know a YouTube channel, Dr. Phelps whatever you tell you can find me there but it's just fun it's fun to have these conversations and i appreciate the time we got to spend today because i just i love the back and forth and so many great things come out of these conversations that just i think hopefully inspire other people to think you know i could be living a different way too you know i just need to get with the right people i need to with the right tribe that'll show me the pathway kind of collapse time so i can get there faster that's what that's what's about
0: I love it. Thank you so much for the time today and for sharing. You are a wealth of knowledge and you walk the talk. That's the most important part is like what you are sharing is needed and you know it because you've experienced both sides of the equation. And I just appreciate you being here, sharing your wisdom. And uh, this is just a great episode. So thank you very much. And to our listeners, I want to leave you today as I always leave you with a challenge with a call to action to take a step towards financial freedom and towards the life that you desire and dream about, one that is on your terms and by your design, not by default. So take some form of action today. Thanks, and we'll catch you next week.